Hello, and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock, Editor-in-Chief at Pharma Forum. I'm joined today by Rebecca Guntern, Head of Europe at Sandoz. We're going to talk a little bit about the world of generics and the work that Sandoz is doing in that space. Uh, welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you. So give us a little bit of an introduction to folks who maybe don't know Sandoz or, or don't know the, the work that you're doing over there. Yeah, well, listen, Sandoz is um, a global uh, leading company in the off-patent sector, and we're operating in over 100 markets worldwide, and we serve more than 500 million of patients. So our mission, and I would also say our purpose, is truly to pioneer access to medicines for patients worldwide. I personally joined Sandoz 15 years ago as a head of sales in Switzerland, and now I'm the head of Europe and in this role responsible for the operation, both in generics and biosimilars across the European markets. Uh, we are a leading company in Europe, again, when it comes to generics and biosimilars, and we operate in 40 markets. We serve a lot of patients and we have over 1 billion packs sold per year. Of course, we impact the life of many Europeans day in and out. And this is also my key responsibility is really to deliver on the purpose, together with my European leadership team to define the right portfolio, the right go-to-market strategy, customer engagement models, and really making sure that we serve and we reach more patients across the European markets. Um, those also driving sustainability and affordability of the healthcare system. And I said this over and over, and this business is hugely depending on people. And that's why I spend also a lot of my time or a big part of my time to attract and retain the right talents and then foster a culture where they can grow, where they can learn, develop, uh, so they can deliver on the, on the purpose we have. So tell me a little bit about the biosimilars market. Um, what, what are biosimilars? How are they different from other generics? Um, hopefully our audience has some familiarity, but it's good to lay a baseline a little bit. No, sure. And maybe let me start with the similarities, because there are a couple of similarities. Both generics and biosimilars are off-patent products, which means we're launching them once the patent has expired. For both of them, first market is absolutely key for success. So once the market is opening up, you need to be there on day one. And last but not least, to come back on the purpose, they really serve both uh, usually our purpose, which is reaching more patients, serving more patients, and really contributing to the sustainability of healthcare system. But if you then go to the differences, and there are a couple of important differences, it starts with the molecule. A generic is a chemically produced substance. A biosimilar is a biological product, which means it is deriving from a uh, living organism, like uh, tissues, like cell lines. And also the size, the complexity of a biosimilar is really different to generics. The risk profile as well. If you develop a biosimilar, you talk easily about 100 million of costs to do this and eight to 10 years while for a generic, the development and research would take you most probably more like two years and roughly two million. And then if you move on to regulatory, and biosimilars by definition really need to match the reference product when it comes to safety, efficacy, but also quality. So as my dear colleague uh, Pierre Bourdage would say, 
listen, biosimilars or building a pipeline in biosimilars is more like playing golf. Every shot counts. And if you miss one, it may really derail your game. So to give you an example, if you choose the wrong cell line in the beginning of the development program, it may really have a huge impact and you may end up with a product eight to 10 years later, which is not cost competitive. So it can really impact the value you can deliver of a biosimilars and change the way you produce it and the way you commercialize it. On the other side, generics is more like basketball. You have a lot of shots, um, missing one is not really significantly changing the game and, and doesn't mean always that you have a huge setback because normally you would say you're going to launch 10 to 20 generics depending, depending a bit on the year. So um, you talked about this. I think you, you started to already answer this question, but what are some keys to success in the biosimilar space? What are some of the ways you can make sure that you make every shot count, as you said? Yes, you know, I mean, we launched 16 years ago um, in Germany, the first biosimilars. And since then, I mean, we have approved in Europe 80 biosimilars. And we have now clinical evidence of over 2 billion of patient treatment days. So it's really a success story. And I would say beyond the growth, of course, it has a huge benefit for healthcare systems because we are driving down costs of treatment and we're driving up access for patients to those treatments. Uh, we talk about 18 billion of savings since the introduction of biosimilars, and also this is already a huge success story. But looking beyond numbers, I mean, what for me is more even exciting is the patient story. So, for example, in Denmark, we have expanded access to TNF-alpha by 15%. So if you would say, what are then the key success factors? I don't think you're going to find one fits all kind of solution because you have different market archetypes, you have different models. So we would rather say you see some principles and I would also say some best practices across the markets. One of those is, of course, policies and guidelines. So it is important to adapt policies and guidelines to really encourage and accelerate usage of biosimilars. And also education, so that everybody understands what is the benefit of a biosimilars and also the value proposition behind. A good example here is the NHS. Um, they have really clear treatment guidelines and also targets um, established for the use of biosimilars. A second success could be, of course, uh, incentive schemes and incentive programs to, again, encourage biosimilar usage. The example here is France, where we have a gain-sharing model in place, where part of the savings goes back and can be reinvested either on the hospital level or also on a um, HCP level. And last but not least, and this is fundamentally important for the future of the biosimilars, is smart and I would say sustainable procurement. What we have seen is that one winner takes it all kind of tenders are not the best solution for biosimilars. Equally, if you just go for pricing, right? Because you have seen there's a huge investment behind the biosimilars. So we need to look that the market is sustainable, which means multi-slot tenders and criteria beyond price are very important because the exciting news is, you know, looking back is one thing, but we still have a, a gap in access, right? So there are markets where, we spend on biologics 20 euro per capita, like Poland or Romania, 
While in some Western European countries, you have 90 euro per capita spent on, on biologics. So you see, there's still an opportunity to really unleash the potential of biosimilars in the future and, and really drive equity of access to those uh, very important, and I would say, in many cases, also life-saving treatments. Now, generics are a large portion of Sandhouse's business. Are they all of it? Um, do you guys also do some original, some um, independently developed original uh, drugs too? We do have a couple one, but I would say those are more the niche products. Um, fundamentally, I think the core business part is, is truly the off-patent medicines, which is the biosimilar piece. Um, in, in Europe, it accounts roughly for 30% of the business, of a 5 billion business. Then you have generics, which is another, I would say, 60%. And we do also have OTC, which is over-the-counter medicines, which account roughly, I would say, for 10% of, of the business. But the over-OTC uh, business, of course, is a kind of uh, originator business. But if you talk about the prescription part, this is uh, to large pro- proportion, it is um, uh, of patent medicines. So when you're in that space, um, it changes more than just the development process that you were talking about. It also changes so, sort of the, the business model, uh, marketing, you know, how you're uh, the, 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 I guess, kind of economies of, of scales of how you're, you're commercializing those drugs. So talk to me a little bit about that world for you. Yeah, the generic world, uh, I, I mean, you're to the point is, is different from the originator one um, in many, many aspects, right? The first one is, I think the role of a generic is not so much building in market, it's driving efficiencies once uh, or after loss of exclusivity. And winning in generics is almost to say you need to win in all the different market archetypes, being it in the tender market, in the pharmacy substitution market, and in the share of voice market, which is the closest one to the originator space. And for us, you know, the way we really promote and commercialize our broad portfolio is very much tailored to these different archetypes. Another difference, I would say, is speed and intensity of competition. Uh, we talked about the first market launches, and, and there it's easily that you're going to find 20 to 30 competitors which are with you in the market. So the fast decision making um, is super critical. So in generic, it's all about, I would say, first to market, uh, Cox leadership, supply reliability, and then commercial excellence, because you have more volume to lower margins and lower or reduce product life cycles. It's all about first in and last out. And this is the main difference to the originator, where it is more about market access, brand building, brand positioning. Now, if you don't get there first, um, how, do, how can you differentiate between, you know, your your generic and, and others on the market um and even the the original drug that you're you know com- competing with what what are some of the differentiators that that do still exist well i mean first and foremost of course and that's why i said the people are so important because of course the people make a huge difference in the way uh we successfully launched the product right and then of course it's important that you have a broad portfolio so the broader the portfolio you have the more attractive you are for the customers because they have a kind of one-shop solution with a brand because we cover all the different therapeutic areas. And that's why for us, this launch part is part of a portfolio building, and this can be a huge difference. And then, of course, the way we 
support the HCPs in, in patient program and patient benefit uh, features can really make also a huge difference. Uh, the easiness to take a drug, um, a compliance support, um, all these services beyond the drug or beyond the pill can really make a difference on the success of a, of a launch and uh, I would say in general in the generic business. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, COVID-19. You know, how, how has that changed your business and, and um and the role that you've had to play in, in treatment accessibility? Well, COVID-19 was a, I would say, really underscored, underlined, highlighted, whatever you want to say, the, the important role of our industry in public health. Imagine we are 70% of all prescriptions are done with generics. We only account for 30% of the cost, but the large volume are being prescribed on generics. And, and that's why we have been at the forefront of the response. And I'm really proud to say we kept operating, right? The way we responded was uh, really impressive because we could avoid major disruption in essential care medicines, but also ICU medication. And I personally believe this was only possible because we had very solid business continuity plans in place and a cross-industry collaboration, which I personally haven't seen before at that level. But of course, COVID gave us a lot of learnings, right? On a personal level, on a business level, and it also showed some weaknesses in the system. And I personally believe one learning is the importance of a um, reliable supply chain. So this said, it is important that we keep manufacturing Europe if we wanna have a more autonomous Europe when it comes to end-to-end -end supply chain. And for this to happen, the market needs to stay and remain attractive, which means if you can encourage companies to invest into Europe, we need to make sure that we can also sell the products made in Europe into Europe. Another one, of course, is was a lot of focus, and I would say almost a renewed focus on public health and also infectious disease treatment. Uh, if you think the antibiotics, just building on what I said, we realized the importance to have also a manufacturing capacities in Europe. And Santos is a great example. We are the last vertically integrated uh, manufacturer and production sites on antibiotics. And, and I think it's super important that we keep it here. And Santos committed to invest even more during COVID into this uh, antibiotic um, sites and really bring new technology in and modernize uh, the way we produce there. And last but not least, yeah. I think we all experience this is the digital, right? The way we interact, the way we work together internally, but also how we engage with customer, with all the digital channels being enabled to communicate on different ways, but also the way we interact with patients because we saw a huge increase in telemedicines and uh, home delivery. So I would say, in essence, a lot of learnings. Um, and I think now we need to, to make sure that we create a future-proof healthcare system uh, for Europe so that we can really have access to the medicines also for all the Europeans across the market. So when you think about the future of, of manufacturing as a global, um, as a global corporation, uh, you know, is it important to have sort of is it's a lesson more about diversification? You need to have manufacturing hubs in Europe and in in the Asia Pac region and in the Americas, or is it is is are you really focusing on Europe specifically? 
Now, I would say it depends a little bit on the company, right? I mean, Santos by heritage, and I would say uh, by histor- history, we do have a very strong footprint in Europe, um, which is, of course, great to have and which we need to keep there. But we're also a global company, which means we have a global supply chain, which is good because it also uh, gives you diversification when it comes to risk. Uh, not having everything at one place might not be the best strategy to build a supply reliability and a system where you can then adapt depending where you have crisis because we see it now right i mean it's not that in europe you you're never going to see a crisis so this said i'm a huge believer that you need to diversify but most probably for the very critical products it is a strategic decision but it is important to have a footprint also in europe the last thing i wanted to talk about is you know another kind of hot topic in the news, which is, you know, drug prices. Um, certainly here in the U.S., there's really been a lot of coverage about how drug prices are going out of control, um, it's, but it's not unique to the U.S., all, you know, all over the world. Um, what's the role that uh, biosimilars and generics play in that space? Um, is it part of the problem or part of the solution or a little bit of each? Well, definitely, I would say definitely not part of the problem, but of course, part of the solution, because we're playing a crucial role as um, the market are opening up for more competition, right? And if you bring more competition, by definition, pricing is going to go down. The second lever you're having just to enter the market, there are rules, right? For a generic, you need to have a lower prices than the originator. The same is true for the biosimilars. And, you know, we just saw, uh, I would say, an interesting publication from Aquivia on biosimilar competition in Europe and the impact. And, and no wonder we see a very positive impact on, on healthcare budgets, right? I mean, they really enable not only to treat more patients, but they fundamentally also contribute to significant savings. We talk about 30% when we just talk about biologic spending since the introduction of biosimilars and overall a 5% saving impact on the European healthcare budget. But I believe, so on this price part, this is important. On the other side, of course, if we bring savings, those savings should also be reinvested, either to drive access, where this is not the case, or then also to invest into, into healthcare, better treatment outcomes, and in care in general. So. That would be, of course, great news for the patients uh, if, if those savings can be reinvested. So I suppose what I meant when I suggested, you know, and I sort of half-jokingly said, said part of the problem was just this notion that part of the reason that drug companies set the prices of their original drugs so high is because they know they have this ticking clock and it's going to, it's going to come off patent and then there'll be generics to compete with and they won't be able to make as much money. Do you think that's like, um, do you think that's a, a thing or, um, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or a, a contributing factor to, to drug prices the way they are? Well, listen, it really depends on the system because if I think about Europe and this is different to the US, you do have uh, very clear guidelines when it comes to drug pricing, right? It's not so much the company who defines the price, at least for the off-patent sector, this is absolutely the case, but you have pricing rules, so which you have to comply with, right? Because otherwise you cannot launch the product. 
And, and this said, um, for the off-patent sector, there is not much uh, pricing flexibility, which, by the way, now with the inflation we're seeing in Europe is a challenge because we cannot adapt pricing to the, to the rising costs and inflation. So I would say if you talk about the off-patent sector, very, very limited pricing flexibility. And we have also given a Santos to commitment during COVID that we're not going to change pricing for all this essential drug. And, and I think this was also a huge commitment, um, again, that we want to really serve the patients and, and make sure that we continuously drive um, savings for the healthcare system. Can we circle back to biosimilars specifically? Because I, I think we've talked a lot about generics in, in general in this in this market. But I'm interested in like as a as a subset and as a you know a fundamentally different manufacturing technology. Um, how what are the benefits of being in, in biosimilars? Are they um, you know cheaper to produce? Are they uh, you know like what's the what's the real promise there as sort of a newer technology? Well, there are different, um, of course, value proposition if you talk about biosimilars. I mean, fundamentally, we're following our purpose. Strategically speaking, we're following our purpose because if you look at the LOE landscape in the next decade to come, which on a global scale, you talk about 500 billion, which is going to lose exclusivity at originator sales in the next 10 years. But half or even more than half of it are biologic. So fundamentally, if you're an off-patent company, you follow, of course, also the loss of exclusivity landscape. So partially, you want to grow in the future. Biosimilars is an important segment to be in. Then secondly, following your purpose, you want to drive access to those biologic because as I, give, as I give you the example of Poland, right? I mean, not everybody and not every European citizen has access to biological treatments. And in many cases, those are the treatments in oncology, in inflammatory diseases, so quite life-threatening diseases. And to give access to more patients, exactly to those most important products, is very much on our purpose. So it makes sense from a strategic point, loss of exclusivity. It makes sense from a purpose point. And of course, uh, it is an interesting field because you have um, less assets but to a higher value. So it's a bit different game. It's more it's something most probably in between generics and originator to play with. And what we're looking here, of course, is, is to expand our portfolio with biosimilars. Yeah, and that's an interesting, super interesting point about access, right? It's, it's not just about entering a, a, a market that already exists, but in some cases sort of creating new markets where people weren't able to really access or afford the, the original drug before it went off patent. So what is the future of, of, um, of biosimilars? What are you excited about coming up? Well, of course, I mean, looking back, as I said, Santos has pioneered the space of biosimilars and we're now the leading company. But looking ahead, I think what is super exciting, we have more than 15 biosimilars in the pipeline and it is twofold, right? It's going to bring us growth. It's going to bring us more access for patients. And I'm super proud to be part of this journey at Sandus, and I can't wait the next phase, unlocking even more benefits and more access for patients in Europe and beyond. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to speak with us. And, um, and yeah, I really appreciate learning so much more about this exciting space. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonah.
That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and to follow us on Twitter at at Pharma Forum. Thanks for listening. Thank you.